Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Hello and welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast. For today's episode, we're going to be listening in on a presentation Jim recently gave about one of the most talked about issues in sports today, concussions. Specifically, concussions in the sport of football. This is an issue that is very important to Jim and I because we are both former players and current coaches. It is a question that we get asked a lot and we figured while Jim was out at Harvard presenting to our advisory board that this would be the perfect opportunity to record a podcast and share our thoughts with our listeners. It should be mentioned that the entire conversation surrounding concussions is a long and complicated one, so we encourage our listeners who have questions or comments to reach out through either Twitter, Instagram, or email. You can find the links to the studies that Jim mentioned in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. In order to do that, I think we have to define what we're talking about. So what is a concussion? Like what exactly are we talking about? There's certainly a range. These are some popular definitions, including from the Webster Dictionary. One definition of concussion is a stunning, damaging, or shattering effect from a hard blow, especially a jarring injury of the brain resulting in disturbance of cerebral functions. And then uh, the other is a temporary and unconscious uh, excuse me, temporary unconsciousness caused by a blow to the head. Now, that one is clearly not true. A concussion, you know, that'd be on the far end of the concussion spectrum is knocking someone out cold. There's plenty of, of room to, uh, for, for a concussion before that. Uh, so we'll go, moving forward, we're going to use the Mayo Clinic uh, definition. That definition is that a concussion is a traumatic brain injury that affects your brain function, period. Effects are usually temporary, but can include headaches and problems with concentration, memory, balance, and coordination. Mayo Clinic goes on to say, quote, most people usually recover fully from a concussion. The first thing about this slide, the first thing that jumps out is that there's many definitions of concussion. You know, it, it, it feels like a thing. It's like concussion, period. What's the most recent movie? Concussion. Right. The headlines in the newspaper, concussion. But um, what is it actually? And it's... Um, because so much of it cannot be seen. So, and this is the thing though, this, this is what everyone is afraid of, probably rightfully so, but this is really, when we say concussion in today's um, world, we're actually talking, I think, about the long-term effects of concussion, specifically CTE. So the definition of that is, is again from the Mayo Clinic, uh, the Mayo Clinic says, quote, CTE is a very controversial condition that is still not well understood. Researchers do not yet know the frequency of CTE in the population and do not understand the causes. Another one, this is, this is from the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I think it's pretty accurate. CTE is a degenerative brain disease, period. It can be found in athletes, military veterans, others with a history of repetitive brain trauma, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, essentially, there's a very specific spindle of, prow, of tau protein that forms in the brain that, makes, that leads to long-term um, disabilities of some sort or other. But that's the first initial distinction I think we need to make. We're not talking about necessarily a concussion. We're talking about the long potential long-term scary effects of repeated concussions over one's lifetime. Which brings me to the idea, are we asking the right questions? Um, I say that because this conversation is about concussions. Really, it's about football concussions. And the reason it's about football concussions is because that's what everyone's talking about. Right. I don't think that's the right question to ask personally. In fact, when I go in and talk to uh, parent groups, uh, we ask this very simple question, are you concerned about football 
or are you concerned about concussions, you know, with assumedly long-term issues associated with them? Because that's the thing. If we weren't in America and it wasn't the multi-billion dollar spotlight shining directly on football, mm -hmm. it could it would be whatever's next. So, you know, on this slide we bring up a, a what I think is a very clear idea, and that is, you know, they're not just happening in football. They're happening in rugby, hockey, lacrosse, wrestling, gymnastics, martial arts, horseback riding. Think about that. Like you're falling from, you're getting bucked from in the air, downhill <laughs> skiing, basketball, volleyball, they're all over the place. The number one reason people go to the emergency room for mild traumatic brain injury is falling, just slipping and falling, just like going through everyday life. Right. The big one that people um, sometimes discount is that military service has the highest frequency of mild traumatic brain injury and it's not even close. The highest? By miles. It is miles. So the question is like, which brings us back to this question. Is it football that we're afraid of or is it, or is it player safety, brain well, safety? I got to bring up Eric Nauman, who is a professor at Purdue University who's doing tons of research in this area. Um, soccer is his focus and you can see this guy heading a soccer ball in this picture. Right. He has tracked the impact of a soccer ball off a goal kick into a header yeah. and it's like you may as well tackle an NFL running back. <laughs> you know, the, the, the impact is the same, tackle to to header, right. um, which is like, you know, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about soccer. I'm right. just saying clearly concussions are a human issue right. that, that go through the range of sports. It's right. not just a football issue. Okay. And so the idea would be that if somehow, you know, and there really is a call for this. In fact, a lot of my research started um, with an article that was published in the Harvard Crimson to which I published a rebuttal. And that's what brought me down this path was, okay, so what if we do successfully dismantle football, like the most popular sport in America, one of the most popular in the world, what if we do clip that limb off the tree, that, you know, to use this metaphor, yeah. uh, if you clip one branch off the tree, the tree is still going, there's all these other branches, and we haven't really fixed the issue of, of athlete safety, of youth right. safety, we've right. only trimmed one branch from it. It feels very reactionary in that way. All right, so to clarify the discussion even further, um, intensity and duration are the things that we need to be looking at. So football is not football. Although there are 3 million football players playing right now, less than 3,000 are in the NFL, and that includes practice teams. Mm. So we're talking about 0.001% of the football population is playing in the NFL. Now, why is that significant? Intensity and duration. So this first image that you'll see up here, that's a high school football game, and that is, that is a big... 8A, top of the line high school outside Chicago. Those guys are competing for conference and national championships. Those are big dudes, okay? Those are the guys who played youth football, made it through high school and sophomore and said, we're gonna be, like, we're gonna take this to another level. Right. This next picture is NCAA football. It's a non-scholarship school, Knox College. Mm -hmm. um, a fantastic liberal arts school. These guys are bigger and faster and stronger than the high school guys. Mm -hmm. But still, as we move through this progression, at, uh, at, that, at a Division three school, they're probably not as big and fast and strong as the guys that are recruited to play right here at Harvard. Uh, and the truth is, you know, Harvard is not necessarily associated with like, you know, to most people with uh, its athletic prowess, although right. its athletic reputation is fantastic. I mean, when I was here, the year I graduated, we, we won our third conference championship in a row, wow. sending, I think we had five guys go play in the NFL this, that year. It was us, it, was a, it was a good time to be playing football at Harvard. But even through all this, you can see on each level we're getting, uh, it's becoming more intense, the seasons are longer, um, the players are bigger, faster, and stronger. But even on that 10-0 uh, conference championship team, 
th- those guys can't make the roster in Alabama, right. most of them. Right. So that's, you know, down the right-hand corner, that's Alabama. So at every level, high school is not this level, that's not this level. You know, it keeps in, uh, progressing in intensity right. and duration. And, and the, the, the kicker is, come draft night, 75% of the Alabama roster is left at home. Right. So, like, there's Patrick Willis right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are literally talking about superhumans. <laughs> and on the bell curve, on the bell curve of athleticism, of size and strength and speed, yeah. these guys are like the far right end. They are they're off the, like off the chart. Right. Okay, so and that matters because the fact is, you know, in in our football careers and in one's football career, you know, even the biggest hits you took, they probably weren't the same as getting rocked by Patrick Willis or Urlacher or Ray Lewis or some, you know, one of those guys. It just, right. it just isn't the same. Duration also matters. So like, again, going back to the last year I was here as a student, Harvard played 10 games, won the Ivy League. Awesome. Everyone was very excited. 10 games. That same year, the Patriots won a Super Bowl. They played 19 games because they had just, they were, their record was good enough to skip the wild card. Mm-hmm. So we're saying not only is the intensity different, Meaning the players on the Patriots are the ones who that's the cream of the crop of the cream of the crop of the cream of the crop or the elite, but they're also playing a season that's twice as long. So like intensity and duration, I mean it, it just does it's not even the same stratosphere as like high school football playing a year in the NFL. You could make that argument. You say you play twenty games and you're playing against guys that look like that, mm-hmm. that look like Patrick Willis, like two years in the NFL. By certain logic, basic logic, I suppose, would be almost like repeating a four-year career in college. Hmm. So you just doubled your college career. You just played your second college career by two years in the NFL. We're talking about guys who played play ten years and beyond. Right. And this is kind of a goofy slide, but it's like it's you know to say football is football is like saying driving is driving. <laughs> driving your car around the block is not as dangerous as driving the bottom right images um, NASCAR. You know, NASCAR right. Right. 200 miles an hour for 200 laps is not the same as going to the grocery store. There could be risk in either. You know, neither one is inherently absolutely safe. Right. And they're both called driving. They're not the same thing. So unbraiding um, the level of danger makes sense to me. So Research. And, well, and then, yeah, exactly. So once, once we go through that, now we're talking about research because we want to talk about science, not headlines. And we really are living in a world of, of clickbait. We're in a we're in a like or a click economy where like the headline matters. That's the thing. Where our attention spans are five to ten seconds mm-hmm. instead of five to ten minutes uh, sitting down and reading something. The headline matters. And the truth is, if that if we get most of our information from headlines, uh, we are very literally missing the point. Okay, so science, not headlines. <clears throat> it is important to note that some studies point to brain changes after only one year of high school football. That is important because like something is happening. Uh, those samples are small and there is, there's no data regarding the duration of those effects. So how long they're lasting, if, you know, w- what sort of long-term negative outcomes um, this study in particular claims. I will include links to these research researchers and the papers in the show notes for the podcast. Another sort of contradictory study came out again from the Mayo Clinic um, they published a study from the Rochester Epidemiology Project and tracked hundreds of students for 40 years after their high school football days, after their football participation in high school, and the results did not show an increased risk of neurodegenerative disease. 
those guys stopped their career at high school. So mm. um, that's what that population looked like. But but again, this is the issue. The, the, the idea is like, yeah, okay, so a concussion is not good. We certainly don't want them. But it's the long-term of, of effects of a concussion. Like that's what people are concerned about, rightfully so. And so this tracked people for 40 years after high school football participation found there was not an increased risk relative to the control. So I've got to, you know, just based on the timeline and some of the uh, headlines that have been coming out recently, there's a Boston University study that's getting a lot of attention. I don't know if I'm sure around here that that's been, that's heard of. Um, but essentially they had, I don't remember exactly what the sample size was. I want to say it was about 110 brains and, and, um, and nine, more than 90% of those brains had CTE. And the headlines read something along, something like, you know, I'm, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's like, 90% of football players have CTE. Mm. It was, it might've been 90% of football players in this study had yes. CTE. Yes. That's not predictive of a population. And, 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 and to be honest, Stern and, and uh, all the doctors that are associated with the project, they don't make that claim necessarily. I think it's really good research. I think it's necessary research. I also think it's not predictive research. And what I mean by that is like, okay, so anyone who came in this room right now assumedly would want to know something about concussions in athletics. So you could say everyone in this room wants to know about concussions in athletics. That doesn't mean that that is predictive of the population, meaning everyone in Cambridge wants to know about concussions. You know what I mean? And I say that because this study in particular was as grossly skewed as, as a study could be. The participants were post-career, post-career athletes with significant playing experience who were reporting these symptoms associated with, with CTE and long-term issues, those were the ones volunteering their brains for dissection uh, posthumously. Those are the brains that were dissected. It's just, um, like I said, it's scary, it's necessary, it's useful, yeah, it's like, just also not predictive. I feel like the, the most alarming part about it all is like, the idea of a concussion is still like at its infant stage. Like, mm -hmm. What we know about it now is far different from what we're gonna know about it in 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's as well. For sure. And I guess so. If there is a value in the hysteria, it's that it's making people pay closer attention. That's like the good news is that BU is doing studies on this. That Harvard is doing studies on it. Like it's getting the attention that it needs to have um, if we're gonna if we're gonna fix things. Right. Uh, but again, if you go from by uh, if you if you were looking at headlines and not adhering to the science, um, Aaron Hernandez is a big one. Right. But the thing is, so if, if people don't know, Aaron Hernandez um, played for the Patriots, was, played for Florida, um, was serving a life sentence for um, murder. He, he murdered someone, serving a life sentence, and committed suicide while in prison. Mm. They found upon uh, autopsy that he had CTE. And that's that period. That's the statement. That's mm. what it is. He had CTE, period. But the issue is that headlines are now associating his behavior with his CTE, meaning people are somehow suggesting that uh, because of CTE, Aaron Hernandez was a murderer, discounting the fact that he had gang ties. He had a whole life uh, full of this other stuff, um, but because he, you know, because he had CTE, I, I don't know, they're, they're illogical jumps to be made. Correlation being made based off of Totally. One thing, it, it's, it's potentially dangerous is the truth. Um, and the reason is this guy's name is not as household as Aaron Hernandez. Mm -hmm. Todd Ewan, 
This is him right here. He played in the NHL. He got in a lot of fights. He played a long time. And the quote here is, when Todd Ewan died, the first thing many NHL alumni thought of was CTE. The second was, will they, will they be next? And the reason I bring Todd Ewan up is because this guy was struggling. He was depressed. He had symptoms that if you just went to a clinical de definition, you might associate with CTE. And at 49 years old, he took his own life. Wow. So tragic story. Upon autopsy, they found that he did not have CTE. And the issue with all of this is here's a guy who's depressed. You know, his life has changed. He's in his late 40s now. He's not, maybe he's not the athlete he once was. He doesn't know how to react to the world. He is depressed. He's clinically depressed. And there's all this hysteria in the world about concussions and CTE. So this guy, instead of getting the necessary help, thinks that he's got this disease that he can't overcome. Uh, and that's like the ultimate uh, that's the end. He doesn't think there's any going up from where he was at and he committed suicide. Turns out he didn't have CTE. Maybe this guy could have been helped through more traditional methods. And that's really the big issue. So the issue is concussions are real. The long-term effects of concussions are scary. Do we want to fix it? If the answer is yes, we have to look at the issue a little more accurately. Um, Noam Chomsky, who speaks on campus here really regularly, actually talks about uh, substance versus shadow. So what is the real issue? And then I think we have to, all of us, agree that we cannot defeat an issue if we keep swinging at its shadow. If we keep villainizing, demonizing football as the thing, football is the issue. Get rid of football and we'll be fine. The issue is it's just going to keep lurking down there and it will pop up again um, when we're not keeping our kids as safe as we ought to. So the question is like, the final question is what are the next steps, right? What, what can I do? Uh, a lot about this is it's really hard to know how one's cognitive health will play out long-term. So what can we do to keep athletes safe? I think institutionally it comes down to three pretty basic ideas. It's prevention, limitation, and rehabilitation. So if you're working in a high school with high school athletes, what do you do? One, I think you mandate strength and conditioning. You know, I, I think if you can limit the action of the brain upon impact uh, by, by by enhancing, exactly, by, by enhancing the neck, the core, the upper back, parts of the structure that will uh, allow for bracing and, like I said, limiting sort of whiplashing, damaging action, that is a preventative measure that ought to be taken. Healthy habits is another one. The, the truth is, if, if, you, if you receive a blow and you are underslept, malnourished, maybe you're hungover, hmm. uh, something like that, then, then your brain is already in a compromised state. And if you get whacked in that state, uh, it's not like the structure of the brain, it just can't defend itself as well on a, on a cellular level. Limitation, so that was prevention. Limitation includes um, the teaching of component skills. So every time, like, so learning to tackle, say, doesn't need to be full on, boom, tackle to the ground, take people out, big hits, you know, uh, highlight reel type stuff all the time. You can teach the components of the skills, you can teach pursuit, you can teach uh, rap and roll. There's all sorts of things you can teach uh, that, will not, that will make you ultimately better at the act of tackling, but will limit the total number of big knocks that someone takes. Limiting exposure is the next one, right? Like, like uh, there are a lot of sports and states that already do this. I'm coming out of Chicago, coming out of Illinois, and they, um, you know, there are, there are limits to how many full tackle to the ground hours you can have over the course of a week. Right. Um, you know, at the school that I work at, we, we stay way below that. 
you just don't need it. You yeah. know, the old school mentality is hammer, 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 toughen everybody up. Mm -hmm. I think you can still do that. You can still make people tough, but you don't have to hammer <laughs> two high school kids together as frequently. So limiting exposure, teaching component skills, and limiting overall exposure are keys to limitation. And then rehabilitation, that's the easiest one. And it's because hands off if you're a coach. Rehabilitation means defer to the professionals, send people to the trainer, to the doctor, try to you know be, uh, be cautious with symptoms. If someone looks like they are concussed, like treat it as a concussion. And it's right. like, you know, the, the old school mentality has no room to creep in there. You have to assume uh, that this is your obligation to keep the kids safe because re repeated injury is probably the issue. I mean, like picture you get punched in the arm, mm -hmm. your arm will heal. But if you get punched in the arm over and over in the same spot, you're, it's not going to heal and you're, you're going to be in trouble, you know, the potentially long-term effects. Same idea. So don't, you know, if someone looks concussed, if they're de demonstrating symptoms of concussion, take them out for the professionals. That's easy on the rehab side. And I think if I had to be on a soapbox for a minute, I would say that um, on the rehab side, we need networks of specialists uh, to essentially standardize, standardize a protocol. That protocol, in my opinion, should include, um, you know, the most up-to-date research on nutrition. Omega-3 fatty acids are incredible um, pre- and post-injury. Um, one of the best I've seen out there is a product called Remind Recover. Uh, actually, so, okay, so this is kind of interesting. The Remind Recover dosages, all the science behind Remind Recover, came from research being done by Dr. Michael Lewis, uh, who was researching military uh, personnel, like what we were talking about. Uh, and found it to be really positive. Sleep and adequate rest needs to be talked about in rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And there's some other people, uh, Wendy Suzuki, who's not too far from here, she's a professor at NYU, has demonstrated some uh, positive effects of exercise in healing, both for blood flow and demeanor and attitude and, and overall sense of optimism going through the recovery process. So it needs to be a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach to um, not return to play, which is what we have now, but like return to life, like make sure this person is, is healthy long term. Right. And that's pretty much it. The next step on all of this is always to reach out. We're at coach for coach, the number four kindness on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find me at jim at goodathleteproject.com.